It was uh, the late and great preacher, uh, A.W. Tozer, that said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, maybe people will debate that, whether it's the most important or not. Maybe you're not convinced of it yourselves either, but we're going to look at that idea of what comes to your mind when you think about, and for us here as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, who is Jesus? We're going to do that today as we look at uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 35 through 40. And we read these words there. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the at the feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Is this seat taken? Maybe you've asked that question of somebody before. Uh, maybe when you're going to a, a conference or, or, or a gathering, maybe it's uh, at a restaurant where it's uh, a little bit more uh, buffet, where you don't actually sit at your own table, or, or some other event, and there's an open space, and there's not too many left. Maybe it's even when you're at a visiting church or something, and you see a spot open, and you might say, well, is this, is this seat taken? And you ask that because uh, maybe that seat belongs to somebody else. Maybe somebody is already reserved to sit there. We're going to explore uh, that idea this morning from the text that we read. Uh, Jesus has already finished now his, his uh, being questioned by the religious leaders around him. They kept coming after him with different questions, most of the time trying to trip him up. Maybe not so with the one who wanted to know about the greatest commandment. He seemed to have an open heart, but questions keep coming to Jesus and they want to know the answer to see if he is who he says he is or maybe they can prove that he's not. Maybe that was more the intent. Now it's Jesus' turn. As a good rabbi would do, he would turn the tables and Jesus has done that in many different ways. He has turned the tables on those that would bring a question against him and ask a question in response. And so... Here is now Jesus' time to ask an all-important question. After, the, after he had given all of the answers to the other things before, uh, no one dared to ask anything more. Jesus has the open floor. And he presents this question in a couple different ways today. 
Jesus is asking what's on the mind of the religious leaders there and, and all others, uh, even us today, when they try to answer the question of who, who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? How do they make sense of that? When they think about that, when you think about that, what comes to your mind? What, would, what kind of answer would you give? See, the, the, by this time already, this idea that uh, Jesus is the Son of David has been exclaimed over and over. Uh, those that needed healing would cry out to the Son of David. When he's coming into Jerusalem, people are shouting about Hosanna, ringing in this idea that this is the one that was coming in the name of the Lord. He is the one. And so by now, this understanding that uh, David's descendant would be the Messiah is uh, becoming more prevalent in society there. But it's, uh, it's an incomplete picture yet. As much as, as much as all of the scribes would know that, um, of what David said there, and the quote that was in here comes from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. They would know by now that uh, their growing understanding of that would be that the one that's coming is the Messiah. But they kept looking at things still in this human perspective and it wasn't making sense to them. He is going to sit on the throne of his father, this, this one that is being talked about here. And Scripture is full of those kinds of examples. The great prophetic uh, book of Isaiah that speaks so much about the coming of Jesus says in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah brought clarity to that idea that uh, the one that is coming, uh, the one that sits on the throne of David is going to be the one that would rule over all things. But this still poses a, a problem to those that are there in front of Jesus. There is this earthly descent mindset still in the minds of the people. How is it that a son who comes after you can be superior to you? It isn't the normal way of thinking. Uh, the one that comes before, the one that gives birth to the other is the superior one, and that one carries things on, but he's not superior to the one who came before. But here in this, that's the question that's being raised. How is it that the, the son can be the superior Maybe that's that puzzling part of uh, Scripture for the, for the scribes at this point. How is it that you can have one superior? How can you have one who saves the world come from somebody but be greater than him? It didn't make sense. We still tend to think in those kinds of ways too, this earthly mindset of uh, trying to put things in perspective from what we understand. Uh, without, without putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and letting God show us how it does make perfect sense. When Jesus comes on the scene in, in uh, Luke's account of the life of Jesus, uh, the opening chapter there in Luke says, He will be great 
and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him to him the throne of his father, David. God introduces Jesus this way in the book of Luke that he is going to be the one that comes from David. He's going to be the one that sits on that rightful throne. But he's going to be called Son of the Most High. So as Luke presents Jesus to us, it's this confusing picture where he's supposed to be Son of David and yet he's Son of the Most High. Which one is it? Well, we know... It's both. The people in Jesus' day still have to wrestle with that. People in our day that that don't know Jesus like you and I do still have to wrestle with how can somebody that has uh, undeniably been, been verified to have lived and walked on the earth be God himself? That just doesn't seem possible. That kind of thinking and, and uh, short-sightedness still exists in our world because they don't have the full picture of things. They haven't, they haven't seen all of it and been able to put it together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even the way David spoke. A, a wonderful little tidbit hidden in, hidden in our passage today. David, in verse 36, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. Did you catch that? As Jesus is asking the, the teachers of the law this question, he says... David spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and made a true declaration. Jesus once again pointing to the authority of what has been written down for the people. And the New Testament writers would also go back and, and, and give evidence to what was said before as Scripture. And even in the New Testament there would be those that would say, we know that Paul's writing, which are the Scriptures. And it's a wonderful tidbit hidden in, hidden in here that lets us know that what we're reading is still God's perfect plan under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But do we fall in that same uh, way of uh, looking at things like the, the scribes did in that day, where they analyzed things from an earthly perspective? Even the disciples would say that at one point. We used to regard Jesus in an earthly manner no longer. Even his closest disciples had that same uh, trapping where they would look at the life of Jesus from their own human perspective. And until that was changed, uh, they were still missing so much of what was trying to be revealed. In this passage, paired with what Jesus is saying about this whole idea of of who has the rightful uh, place to sit on the seat of his father David's throne, in that comes a warning as well. I wrestled with whether or not to do both of these parts together. But I think there's, there's a, a, a good picture that's being painted for us here when we take them both together. Both the, the explanation of how is it possible that the heir is superior, how is it that the son of David is actually um, far greater than, than David the man, in that comes this warning as well where he says, Watch out for the scribes. They don't seem to have a clear understanding yet, so watch out for those people that go around looking way more religious than they truly are. There's a warning in there that is helpful for us to understand 
Watch out, he says, for those who love to have places of honor, the best seat in the house, who, who go around looking like they're all that with all their long and flowing robes and they, they stand there and make these long prayers as if that was uh, pleasing to God somehow, but it's all just a big show. We have people like that yet in our world that are in places of uh, authority over God's people and are, they are trusting the one that's up there with being authoritative for the Word of God and yet they have very little interest in pointing them directly to the Savior at all costs to themselves. They would rather, even as it says, watch out for those that would rob the elderly of their money just so that they can still have this position of power. We still have to deal with those kinds of warnings today. We need to be uh, wise as serpents, shrewd as... Did I get that right? We need to be wise and shrewd at the same time. I'll let the puzzle part fill itself in. We need to be discerning in what we hear, what people say. The, the Berean church in the, in the New Testament knew that. They needed to hear what was being said and put it together with the rest of Scripture so that the, the whole picture would be complete. You can't just take something that somebody says because he stood up here and said it. You should never take my word for it that what I'm saying is true. It ought to make sense in the full picture of Scripture. And so Jesus gives the people of that day and for us today the warning of make sure that those that put themselves in those positions, you scrutinize. You take a look at their motives that are behind that. Do they point you squarely to Jesus? Do they make the picture of God that much more complete? Or are there lots of pieces still missing in their words? These are meant to be experts in the law. When Jesus says, beware of the scribes, he says, beware of those who are, who are standing before you as an expert in the law. These are not people that just uh, decided to stand up one day and give what they thought. These are people that would study the Word of God and then teach people about it, and yet it would only lead them astray. James uh, in his book that we studied a while back already, said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Exactly what Jesus said. They will receive the greater condemnation, those that put themselves up in a place that they have no position to be there. We should be on our guard as well at all times against those that would teach us things that would lead us away from the truth of God's Word. Those people that appear to be very religious in their actions, maybe very religious in their words, except they do you no good. And they don't lead you on a path that uh, aligns squarely with the whole of Scripture. Let's go back to that uh, quote that Jesus had there from Psalm 110. David himself said in the Holy Spirit, uh, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet.
David knew that it was going to be, uh, as promised by God, his line that was going to have the heir to the throne. The one that would take his rightful seat would come from David's line. Why David? Why not somebody else? Why, why couldn't God have made that promise to Saul? If you're going to have a king, why not, why not establish it with the first one? Why go through maybe this trial and error? Or Why was it David? See, the people have always, uh, all along, the people of Israel have always wanted, uh, in their, from their time of the Exodus, wanted, wanted a leader, but they wanted, they wanted a leader under their terms. They even said so much. Uh, we want a king like all the other nations have. And so God gave them what they wanted. And he gave them Saul. Now Saul uh, was still uh, God's servant. So much so that he even prophesied in the Holy Spirit while he was king. But if you watch the the mindset and the legacy that Saul leaves, it's a disgraceful one. Sure, there are a few shiny moments here and there, but Saul, Saul continues to fail God's people. He doesn't keep pointing them back to God. He keeps failing in his leadership. God chose David. The people wanted a king like all the others, so God gave them what they asked for, but he said... Here's what you need. You need the man of my choosing. That would go back to the same kind of circumstances where Abraham and Sarah found themselves, where um, there was this promise of one to come after them, their own son, their own son. One that had a son except it wasn't exactly the way God had designed it. And so God didn't give the promise to the first son. He gave it to the, the next one. Jacob. So I, as, as the plan unfolds, uh, man and wife take into their own hands and, and distort the Word of God and say... Couldn't it be this way? And God says, no, it's still going to be the son that comes from you both. Here, when David is chosen, it is God's choosing. It is God's plan that needs to prevail here. And we have to remember that, brothers and sisters, that it is going to be God's plan the way God has ordained it to be, and it, can't, it cannot be mixed with uh, our own choosing in that, our, our, our interpretation of that. If it could have been some other way, then, then the heir to the throne would, would never happen. In mankind's efforts to try to uh, fill the seat, they would and they have always failed. We just finished the book of Jeremiah recently. 
several times throughout the book, the phrase, uh, the throne of your father David is brought up. At least once where it's a reminder of the promise. Most of the other times, it's a judgment against the people because the one who sat on the throne didn't follow faithfully. And the people are wondering, is there ever going to be somebody that's going to sit in that seat that will rule faithfully? And God would reiterate once again, it is going to happen and it will be the one that I put there. The disciples wrestle with this idea of who gets to sit at the best seats in the kingdom. The brothers, the sons of thunder, come and say, we want to sit in those best seats, one on your right, one on your left. You remember the answer Jesus gave them? That's not mine to give. Those places are determined already by my Father. The disciples are wrestling with this idea of having places of power. And Jesus reminds them that all of this has already been determined and God has the right people in the right places at the right time and Jesus is the only rightful heir to the throne. And whoever would be around Him is still the Father's choosing. Trying to understand the the plan of God always has to come back to the Word of God. the promise that God gives and will deliver on is that a day is coming when every enemy to the people of God will be conquered. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This week, once again, we saw that death has already been defeated for God's people. And so as a beloved saint goes from this life into the next, she did that victoriously because death has already been defeated by the risen Savior. The promise in here that uh, that Jesus alludes to as he's trying to make another point is that one day the one that does sit on the throne will finally conquer every enemy. You know the enemies that are around us. You know some of the people. You know the evil that exists, not just in other countries, but they exist around us today. We don't like to think of evil existing so close to us. We think we're a very uh, well-protected and and, uh, a stable place here in the United States. Things are changing uh, rapidly around us, and we still need to decide... Do those people that would try to lead us in one path or another, do they have in mind the same things that God does? Is there their goal the good of the people or their own good? That's where Jesus is saying, even to the, the scribes, to the, to the people there, watch out for those that like to be in this place as a power, except they do you no good. We will have to face more and more of that here in our safe and secure country as persecution comes more to us. And we will need to make those decisions to to side with the one who will conquer all those things 
or listen to the voices around us and decide to go a different direction. The one who has the rightful, the right to sit on the throne of David is God's own choosing. In fact, it is God. Not just his choosing, it is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ who has the only authority to sit on the rightful throne of, of David his father. And in that, and when that, and because of all that is taking place and is still being revealed as we go along, there will come that day when every enemy is finally defeated. And you get to the book of Revelation and it says, the former things have now passed away. Death and mourning and suffering and crying, all of those things will be no more because of the Lamb who sits on the throne. Go back to the puzzle. When all of the pieces of the puzzle are in their proper place and we see and finally experience the fullness of what God has always planned for us, it's only then that we begin to uh, feel eternally secure Every time we shift around the pieces of the puzzle or leave pieces of the puzzle out because they don't seem to fit. Ever have that? Put a piece in and it's like, oh, this one goes there. And it doesn't. And you try and you try and you try and that piece of the puzzle doesn't fit there. There is a proper place for it. And we need to understand uh, in our world every day, brothers and sisters, how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And when we begin to see that more and more clearly, uh, the picture becomes uh, fuller and more beautiful. And even in the midst of, when you look at this, there are lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. All of those uh, wild things that would cause you harm still create a beautiful picture when you see it in its proper context. The same, brothers and sisters, is far more true than that illustration when you begin to see from cover to cover the complete picture. You can make sense of the world in which you live and you can only do it here. You cannot do it anywhere else. You can't find a complete picture of the world in which anybody lives, where we all live, in any other place than this one book. Anything else that stands opposed to this and the teachings of this would be condemned. In fact, in just a few weeks here on our timetable, in just a matter of a short period of time in Jesus' timeline, he's going to bring that idea up. Watch out for anybody that would go against this teaching. As you're trying to discern the end times, and every day that we live is one day closer. As you're trying to discern the times in which we live, we need to be able to do it from the Word of God and watch for those that would stand opposed or stand up in, in places where, where they only seem to puff themselves up, but they have nothing to do with the will and the plan and the purpose of God. Jesus gives a little warning to the scribes. He's already put the disciples in their proper seat, if you will, 
But he's going to say in just a little bit, watch out for those that come in in a very powerful way and try to take the seat that does not belong to them. For us today, as we trust in what uh, the Scripture says and and the picture that it paints for us, we stand secure once again in the knowledge that Jesus sits on the throne and Him alone. And in Him, every victory is given to His people. Amen? Amen. Jesus, uh, we in our inward way uh, bow before You this morning. Uh, We acknowledge that we have even tried to our own disgrace to put up things in place of You. Ideas, peoples, uh, policies, all kinds of things. We've, we've put things in your place to try to make our world make sense. And it hasn't worked. And it will never work. And so Jesus, uh, remind us once again today as your people that your plan continues to succeed and will ultimately succeed for us as followers of you. And so as we stand here uh, or bow in your presence, as it were, we pray that you would help us to take that same message of hope and assurance to those that are still lost in darkness and confusion. We pray that uh, we in our own lives would only set you on the throne, take down everything that's in its place, and give you that rightful seat. It is yours and yours alone. And it's in your most holy name that we submit ourselves. Amen.